Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm very excited to have you listen to this episode. This is an interview that I did with the lovely Mon from the Midi Society, and she is a midwife, and she basically interviewed me about all things gestational diabetes. So it's a really good crash course in the whole situation. So it's a good listen if you've just been diagnosed, but also if you're a fair way through and you want a refresher on things, I think that it's a really good one to listen to. I think that you will all enjoy this no matter where you are. And Mon is amazing. So go and check out her profile and all of her things as well. She runs birth classes and stuff like that in Melbourne. Yep, she's amazing. So please go and check her out as well. And I also wanted to give you a heads up that I've got a new freebie that I would love for you to download, especially if you are newly diagnosed with gestational diabetes. I've named this, I've just been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, now what? So I've really just designed this to give you a really clear understanding of what the process is after you've been diagnosed with GD in terms of like, you know, who are your appointments with, like, what's the whole process of all of it, and then a little bit about the nutritional management of it. So I didn't want to overwhelm you and put too much information in there, um, but I have gone through the basics of what you need to be doing and how you need to be structuring your meals and things like that so that you can understand how to get started. So it's a really good one, if especially if you're in that in-between stage where you haven't really seen anybody yet and you just need to know what you should be doing. Um, And then there's another little free bonus that will come into your inbox after you've downloaded that after a few days as well. So definitely recommend going and downloading it. I can put a link in the show notes here and also on Instagram. I'm at nutrition.by.helena. So you'll be able to go and download it from my bio there as well. And come and just send me a DM on Instagram. I always love hearing from you too. So do that. But enjoy this episode. Um, and I will be back with another episode soon. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the Midi Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers, and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew, and poo. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by me and my birth classes. 
Preparing to welcome a baby into the world can be daunting with so many unknowns and what-ifs, but the Midi Society's face-to-face and online birth classes will leave you feeling empowered and confident about your labour, birth and beyond. Taught by a currently practising midwife, it is our aim to provide you with the latest evidence-based education which will enable you to advocate for yourself and your desired birthing experience. Say goodbye to those generic textbook birthing classes. Our classes are designed in a modern, fun, informative and light-hearted way. So if you're looking to get educated about birth and beyond, head to my website www.themidisociety.com.au and book yourself into a birth class, whether that's online, face-to-face, in a group or a private class. Alternatively, we know that sometimes pregnancies may not all fit the one mould. Here at the Midi Society, we are passionate about supporting you and whatever your desired birthing option may be. No woman should be excluded from receiving high-quality birth education based on their pregnancy being deemed either high-risk or low-risk. So if you are someone that's looking for more of a tailored class to your specific needs, or maybe you're even going in for an elective caesarean and want to know more. If this is you, contact us at hello at themidisociety.com.au so we can find the best class for you. Because remember, knowledge is power within the birthing space. In today's episode, I speak with gestational diabetes dietitian Helena McDonald, where we discuss everything to do with gestational diabetes. From unpacking what gestational diabetes is and why we test for it in pregnancy, why you may be diet controlled versus insulin controlled, as well as how can you best manage your diagnosis of GDM. Within this episode, I also discuss gestational diabetes from a midwife's perspective, including what your management may look like once you get the diagnosis of GDM, as well as what you can expect throughout your labor, birth and postpartum journey. Please welcome the lovely Helena. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today, I am joined by gestational diabetes guru, Helena McDonald. So, Helena, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be on this podcast. I love chit-chatting, so this is cool. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, my name is Helena. I am a dietitian, and essentially, I work with women who have gestational diabetes and also women in that postpartum phase. And I really work with them around uh, managing their diet and lifestyle to optimize their blood sugars and actually feel really good about what they're eating and feel confident in their body and ideally set up some of those sustainable habits that will support them in the long term. So I'm very excited to talk all things gestational diabetes today. I could talk for days about nutrition. I honestly love it. So you'll have to stop me at some points, but no, I'm really excited about this conversation. I was going to say, we both can talk considering we've already been talking for a long time before we've even pressed record today. (laughs) And you also have your own podcast, which you haven't mentioned. So you've got to give that a little shout out first. That is true. I am the host of the Gestational Diabetes Club podcast and I also have an Instagram page. So I share lots of content about gestational diabetes on there as well. And that is at nutrition.by.helena is my handle. So go to those two places and Thank you for letting me shout them out. Um, go to those two places if you want more of my content all around GD, but we'll we'll give you a good overview of it today as yeah, well. Yeah, and I'm super excited to be chatting with you today because I already said it to you when we weren't recording, but I think it's just going to be such a great 
insightful episode with both of our backgrounds to sort of give everyone who might be navigating the challenging thing of DP um, and just hopefully make it a little bit easier for them. So we're going to be talking everything about nutrition, lifestyle, diet and exercise and then I will also be adding in my two cents of what sort of happens in the hospital system and how you can be managed throughout your labour and experience. But first of all, Helena, I want to ask you, how did you actually get into this area? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's there's probably a longer version of this story, but essentially like I've had a, a bit of a varied background as a dietitian in my career. So I worked in hospitals for about five years and towards the end of that, I was doing like the diabetes clinics. So I was in like the complex, like type one and type two diabetes clinic and doing a like young adult diabetes clinic. And then I also got thrown into the gestational diabetes, diabetes outpatient clinic. So reluctantly, I really didn't want to be there. I didn't really want to be in any of the diabetes clinics, to be honest, and, you know, just filling gaps, I suppose, in the hospital system. And so I was so freaked out about getting into the gestational diabetes clinic. I was like, I know nothing. Pregnant women are scary. I don't want to say anything (laughs) wrong. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do anything harmful to their baby. So I was really terrified, Um, realized I knew nothing got absolutely stuck into learning as much as I could so that I felt like I was doing a good service to the women that I was mm-hmm. seeing. And then it really surprised me that I found myself leaving that clinic every day with a massive smile on my face, like, oh, that was fun. That mm-hmm. I actually quite enjoyed myself there. Um, so I really actually enjoyed working with the women because they were so motivated and proactive and so willing to take on information and advice and start improving their diet and their lifestyle for the sake of themselves and their baby. So I actually really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed like getting into all of the research about it because I was like, well, I actually do love science and learning and there is mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to learn here, not just about gestational diabetes but pregnancy nutrition in general. Um, and my sister was pregnant at the same time. So it was all kind of coincided but I was also feeling a bit of frustration in terms of like in, in that clinic it felt like this revolving door where I never mm-hmm. had enough time to really spend with one person to give them a solid understanding and education and support around their nutrition with gestational diabetes. And really, I could only see, I don't want to say, you know, the worst, but like people who are really, really struggling. And so it might've been people with like English as a second language or people who were really struggling, like from a maybe a more disadvantaged background and people whose blood sugars were just really not um, not as be- not as good as they could be, and so there was also this whole middle band of women who I felt like were really getting missed because mm. they probably really wanted the information, but they weren't getting it because I was the only dietitian in the clinic, and my time was taken up by the people who desperately, desperately ne- needed the help the most. And then I would only really get to have one consult with them and no follow up. So it just felt a little bit futile, and it was also you know, really logistically a situation of I'd be in the clinic working with one woman and an endocrinologist knocking on my door like, here's someone else to see you. They're right here waiting immediately. And it's like, how can I possibly get through this endless list really? So um, I found that really frustrating, challenging. I got a bit fed up with it. Um, I left the hospital system. I also got pretty burnt out over COVID. So I just decided to leave that job and basically do it better on my own. And so yeah. that's that's when I, I really 
I thought to myself, what do I want to do? And I realized that it is working with those women where I can make a big difference because it's a really pivotal point in your life where a lot of people see this gestational diabetes diagnosis, like once you get over the grief and the devastation and all that stuff that comes with the diagnosis, like you can start to see it as a real like trigger and um, uh, almost a turning point to be like, well, I can actually just put like start doing that health kick that I've been putting off for all this time and really improve my health and my lifestyle and my diet. So I thought, well, let's capitalize on that. Let's capture those women. And I really want to work with them and and build more awareness and more resources and education in this space. Because I also noticed once I did start growing my business, like there's no one doing this. There's no one talking about it. There's no one giving you help. And so I see so much misinformation, conflicting information, just a lack of, a lack of support. Whereas, you know, you could look up any other dietitian like a gut health dietitian on social media and find like a million results but gestational diabetes I was like oh I can only find like a handful like less less than 10 off the top of my head and so I thought well okay let's get more voices in this space so I just thought well I've got the skills I've got the background like I've got the interest let's go and and let's really like make as much of a difference as I can in this area but yeah, I told you that was the short version. I ended up being the longish version, but no. <laughs> that's why I do what I do. You're so right, though. A lot of the things that you just said really resonates with me because it's like when I'm in the antenatal clinic and it's just one in, one out, one in, one out, and you yeah. really are, although you're giving those appointments your all, it is impossible to give the standard of care that we really should be giving all these yeah. women. and. Unfortunately, that's the reality and you're so right with the lack of education out there because there's there's really not that much there. And you, if you asked a woman with um, gestational diabetes lots of questions about how she's going to manage this, she wouldn't know the answers without support. Yeah, And it is a shame that those middle women get missed and we really do focus on those higher risk women. Um, and for you, look at you, you're doing an amazing job now spreading awareness and thank you for coming on today and sharing your wisdom because you definitely have a lot of wisdom around this topic. So I guess the first question I have for you is for people wondering what actually is gestational diabetes, do you mind explaining what it is? Definitely. And again, I'm I'm not good at short answers, so I'll try and be <laughs> as concise as I can be because I think this is a bigger question than it sounds like on the surface. So yes, with gestational diabetes, like if we take, you know, the the bare bones of it, it's having high blood sugar during your pregnancy, mm. right? But we also, I think, need to unpack why that's happening. And essentially what's going on when you're pregnant is that your placenta and, you know, the baby and everything, like you're producing pregnancy-related hormones and they essentially block the action of your own insulin in your body and create this insulin-resistant environment. Um, and that means that your sugar in your bloodstream is more likely to stay higher because the insulin isn't able to do its job as it normally would. And also during pregnancy, your requirements for insulin increase by two to three times. So there's a really high demand for insulin on the body. And some people just can't keep up with that for whatever underlying reason there might be. Um, And we can go you know, a few steps back and really unpack what all of those terms mean as well. Because if you're totally new to even thinking about your nutrition and anything to do with physiology, you might have no idea what I'm even talking about when I say things like insulin. But 
It basically does mean that your insulin isn't doing its job, sugar stays higher in the bloodstream. So basically what's going on is let's use a bit of an example. So if I ate a piece of bread right now, let's say, so a piece of bread is a form of carbohydrate, that would be broken down into little sugar molecules in my bloodstream in my body once I've consumed that piece of bread. And now I'm going to use the terms like carbohydrate and sugar interchangeably and glucose and sugar interchangeably because all carbohydrates get broken down into sugar in our bloodstream. So that's the first thing to understand that they're not really separate concepts, no matter what kind of a good quality carbohydrate it is versus a less nutritious carbohydrate, it all gets broken down into sugar. And then that sugar sticks around in your bloodstream unless it's got some help. So uh, it can't actually go anywhere on its own, but it's not very useful to us once it's in the blood, right? We need it in other places like our muscle cells and our brain cells where it can actually help us and support us. Like it's thought that our brain needs about 130 grams of carbohydrates a day alone to function. And in context, that's like eight slices of bread. That's quite a bit. So we need to have like the sugar going where it needs to go to support our daily functioning, right? And it needs the help of something. And that something is insulin. And so insulin is a hormone. It is released by the pancreas. So when we eat something that contains carbohydrate, like the piece of bread, our pancreas is stimulated to release that hormone insulin. And insulin acts like a key. So I like to use this analogy to help you visualize it a bit better. So if we consider that the sugar is stuck in the bloodstream and the cells in the brain and the muscles and the liver are all locked, they're all locked up. We need that key, which is the insulin to come along and transport the sugar out of the cell and into, sorry, out of the blood and into the cell to open up that lock. That's what happens normally, right? We get enough insulin to take the amount of sugar that we've eaten out of the blood, into the cell. Good to go. In gestational diabetes, pretty much like a few things could be happening. So we might have an issue where those locks are really hard to unlock, for example. So the key is getting released from the pancreas, so the insulin is getting released, but it might actually have a lot of trouble opening up the lock on the door to the cell because maybe, maybe it's rusty, like an old... rusty, rusty lock... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like an old rusty lock, an old rusty key, whichever. Um, And so it takes ages. It's really hard to unlock it. You know, we've probably all had that moment or even like thinking about a car key where you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's getting pretty old and the battery is getting pretty dead. It's not working very well. It's pretty hard to open at that point. So it might take ages. And the other thing that could be happening is that the pancreas just isn't producing enough of those keys. So it's just really slowed down and it's not able to keep up with the demand of how many keys it needs to be producing to unlock all those doors on the cells um, because there's too much sugar in the bloodstream or not too much, but just an amount that it can't cope with. So both of those things could be happening at once or one or the other. We could have a really hard um, lock to unlock or we could have not enough keys to unlock. And then either way, we end up with a an amount of sugar in the blood that is considered too high and can mm-hmm. put you and your baby at risk of certain things. So 
That's pretty much what insulin resistance means, right? And like I said, that is primarily driven by hormones that are produced by the placenta. And it's also because in pregnancy, we need like two to three times the amount of insulin that we normally would. So that's why those things can happen. But there's also other risk factors that underlie all of that. But did that make sense as a bit of an overview? No, such a great analogy and definitely took me back to my like year 10 uh, biology class. I literally remember the lock and key like being drawn on the whiteboard, um, but no, a really great visual. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I guess that leads me to my next question of, so obviously you've touched on that insulin resistance and the potential that it can occur during pregnancy, but f- why do we actually test for this in pregnancy? Mm. Yeah, great question. And that's sort of what I was about to touch on in that it can create risks for you and Bub if your sugar in your bloodstream is too high. So for for your baby, I think that's what most people are pretty worried about, um, you know, in terms of you don't want to be causing any damage or any harm. What can happen is directly after your pregnancy, if your sugar in your bloodstream has been running a bit high, then it means that more sugar is being like shunted off into the baby via the placenta. And so they essentially have like this constant drip feed of sugar. And so they may grow what we would consider like larger than normal or larger than expected that might cause complications with your birth and delivery so it might mean that you know the shoulder is really hard to get out for example if you're giving birth vaginally um, and it might change the uh, the way that you give birth so you might need to be induced you might need to have a c-section whatever it might be I want to caveat that by saying just because you have gestational diabetes yeah. doesn't mean that those things are necessarily going to happen. It's just Mm. a risk if your blood sugars are high and the baby's growing really large. Um, And again, like growth scans can be inaccurate and this is more your domain than mine, but bear in mind those things. But it is just a risk. The potential risk, yeah. And then after giving birth, your baby is at risk of hypoglycemia, which is what we call low blood sugar. Because if you think about it, if they've had this kind of constant drip feed of sugar during the pregnancy, Mm. once they are out of the womb and they don't have that constant stream of sugar coming in, their own body is going to be overproducing insulin because their body's been working fine to keep producing that insulin to take the sugar out of their own bloodstream and take it into the cells. But if we take away the carbohydrate, the sugar that's going into their blood, they're going to still produce that insulin. Blood sugar could drop too low and that can be dangerous for them as well. That can be something that self-resolves or it can be ongoing. And then there's um, there's some hypotheses. We don't have concrete evidence around this yet, but there's some hypotheses that your baby is also more vulnerable to develop metabolic diseases and conditions later in life. So things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, being of a higher body weight, those sorts of things. Don't want to scare you again with that kind of stuff. We don't know for sure. And there's so many factors that go into that in their own life, but it does seem to play a bit of a role. Um, And then there's the really scary things as well, which I don't like to talk about too much because it's super unlikely in this day and age Mm. where we have such good management and care for women with GD, but even things like stillbirth are a genuine risk for gestational diabetes if it's poorly managed. But you have to know that all of these risks can be minimized if you are appropriately looking after your blood sugar. So if you've got normal stable blood sugars, 
there's no reason you would be at a higher risk for any of these things than somebody else. You're basically considered like normal. And that's, that's all the risks to your baby, but for yourself as well, there are risks like it's um, the latest stat that I read was like a one in seven women who have had GD will go on to develop type two diabetes. So that is something to be very, very much aware of that. It's not just like, oh, you've had GD and then like you finish your pregnancy blood sugar is back to normal because that's another thing to know your blood sugar will most likely return back to normal after you give Mm. birth and get rid of that placenta but it doesn't really end there because you are at a greater risk of type 2 diabetes and I don't say that to scare you but just to give you the reality of the situation that it's prime time to really just continue working on your nutrition your lifestyle optimizing your health as best as you can because that's the main risk factor for you post a GD diagnosis. But, you know, there's other considerations as well. Like it could put you at risk of um, disordered eating, depression, those sorts of things. And I think that that's really important to touch on too because if you're feeling really low, low mood, or you're feeling weird about food, all that stuff, please seek support because that is not just something that you should have to deal with with GD and not tell anybody about. Like, that's a really, really big risk that I don't think gets spoken about enough. Yeah, definitely. And you probably see that a lot more and we know women don't always talk about these things, but uh, gestational diabetes is so much more than just a physical thing, you know, it's a mental thing, it's an emotional thing and the spectrum is so broad with, you know, the potential risks of having it to you and your baby. So those conversations just then was not to scare anyone, but that is just the education and evidence behind that. Um, So my next question is how do we actually test for gestational diabetes or maybe before we jump into that, are there any potential risk factors for someone developing gestational diabetes? Yeah, totally. And Another good thing to know is that a lot of the risk factors are totally beyond your control. So Mm. please don't get that diagnosis and think that it's all your fault. You've been doing everything wrong. You've been eating too many beige foods in the first trimester. It's not the case often. That's not really how diabetes works. So the main risk factors are actually things like your ethnicity. So for example, we know people from Aboriginal Australian, um, Asian, Southeast Asian, Polynesian, like lots of those sorts of like ethnic backgrounds are Mm. at a higher risk of developing GD. Um, Then we've got age. So if you are over 40, basically is what's considered like of a higher age, then you're more at risk to get GD. Um, If you're in a higher body weight, and I really like to tread lightly there because I think um, weight is something that's only modifiable to some extent, right? We can't always be fully in control of what your weight's doing, but we know having excess body fat stores can interfere with insulin function and exacerbate insulin resistance. And if you've got a family history of GD or type 2 diabetes, then you've probably just got something in your genetics as well that predisposes you. And genetics is something that often gets overlooked in any type of diabetes, whether it be type two or gestational diabetes. Genetics actually has a really big role to play. So, you know, that's, that's a really big consideration and other medical conditions as well, like PCOS, if you're taking medications like steroids that can induce higher blood sugar as well. So yeah, there's, there's lots of factors. Most of those, Mm. as I said, you can't really control some of them you can, but yeah, 
And I would say as well, if you've got a really poor quality diet, and again, tread lightly when I say that because that's subjective and there's all sorts of reasons that that might be the case for you. But if you, you know, if we considered somebody who's getting takeaway five nights a week, never moving their body, smoking, all the stuff versus somebody who's hitting the gym, getting a few steps in every day, like making sure they're eating veggies and have a relatively well-balanced diet, then those two people might be at totally different levels of risk as well. I think that's obvious. Yeah. And the reason why I asked about the risk factors is because, you know, me working in the hospital system, often screening women for gestational diabetes in their first booking in appointment, usually around that 15, 16 week mark. Um, we do ask them all these questions and screen them for everything that you just said. And hospitals ma- might follow a different policy, but where I work, if a woman has, you know, two or more of those risk factors, then we would recommend an early GTT, so glucose tolerance test, to see if they do have gestational diabetes sort of around that 16 to 18 week mark, um, which is why I said, are there risk factors before we jumped into how do we test it? I guess that leads on to the next question of how do we test for it? And that is usually via the glucose tolerance test. And like I just said, you might be at higher risk. So having that early GTT at around 16 to 18 weeks, otherwise we would do that glucose tolerance test around like that 26, 28 week mark. And people probably already know what the GTT is. We've all heard of it. Do you mind maybe sharing what sort of happens there with that test? So for the oral glucose tolerance test, basically we ask you to go in to a clinic fasted. So you need to have fasted usually overnight, get a morning appointment, um, and then you'll go in to your appointment and that will be like two to three hours long. And you need to have your blood taken fasted so after at least eight hours of nothing except for water Um, and then we give you a really sugary drink so it's essentially like a sugary lemonade I suppose or so I hear I've never drunk it Mm. a lot of people say it's quite horrific but it might be fine I've also heard that a good hot tip is to ask for it to be put in the fridge so it's easier to go down but this drink contains 75 grams of sugar so that we can really put the system under pressure and see what happens with your blood sugar when you've consumed that. So we take your blood first just to get a baseline reading of what your blood sugar is doing at baseline, basically. Mm. So you have that and then you have your drink and then we wait one hour, test your blood again, see what it's doing then, and then wait two hours and test your blood again and see whether that level has come back down. Because it's very expected that your blood sugar will like rise and spike when you've taken in that glucose load. But then we want to see what happens at that one hour and that two hour mark to see Mm -hmm. if it's coming back down appropriately or whether it is staying too high in your bloodstream. So you definitely will have high blood sugar taking in that amount of straight sugar, but we really are interested in what happens afterwards in that one and two hour mark. And during that test, you can't do anything like eat and drink. You can't walk around. You can't exercise. We can probably walk around. You can't do any exercise as such because we just want to see under these test conditions, what happens with your blood Mm -hmm. sugar. And then You'll receive your diagnosis and if your levels are above the target ranges, you'll be diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So if any one of those 
time points. So whether it be fasting, whether it be the one hour time point or the two hour time point is out of range, you'll be diagnosed. And a lot of people after this, like, will feel like they've had a misdiagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. They'll feel like, oh, it's only like 0.1 over the target range. And so I don't, I don't know if it applies to me. Don't know if it's, you know, accurate. Please know it's pretty accurate. And even if it's not, like the best case scenario would be that you get the diagnosis, just cop it on the chin, feel the grief, feel the devastation, get all your feelings out, but then just Mm. try and accept it because at the end of the day, the best case scenario would be that you got this diagnosis and it basically meant nothing. It meant that you made a couple of little tweaks to your diet and your lifestyle. Your blood sugar was fine after you started monitoring it. You had no issues, didn't really need to do a great deal. Um, and no worries, smooth sailing. Worst yeah. case scenario would be that you decide, no, nah, misdiagnosis, I don't have gestational diabetes, I'm not going to worry about caring about it, who cares, I'm not going to monitor, I'm not going to manage it at all. And then what if we don't know what's going on in your body and you actually do have gestational diabetes and your blood sugars are running wild without anybody mm. knowing about it and then it does cause complications for your pregnancy Um, and for your birth and then later in life as well, potentially. So that's your two scenarios really. So it's so much better to just take that diagnosis. And it's also important to know that we're doing that at a time point where insulin resistance starts to really show its head. But as your pregnancy progresses, insulin resistance actually becomes exacerbated because baby's growing, placenta's growing, more of those hormones are being produced. So it's driving more insulin resistance, right? So your blood sugar might be relatively okay at that time point when we do the test, but then it might progressively get worse as the weeks go on as your pregnancy progresses. So Hmm. please know that as well, that you might be looking pretty good at the time you do the glucose tolerance test please don't decide it's a misdiagnosis because we don't want to miss what's going on and it might get worse as it goes on. So yeah. 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 Hopefully, um, hopefully that was a, that was a clear, concise. concise. Yeah. Yeah, it okay. was concise. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to add is if you're someone that does that early GTT and it's negative, you will still then be offered the routine GTT around that 26, 28 week mark because people are like, oh, I've already done it early on, but we do do it again. And if you tested positive in that early GTT, you would then be treated with, you know, GDM yeah. as well, just to note, because sometimes there's a little bit of um, confusion around that when I'm talking to women. Uh, yeah. So I guess. This is probably my more so my niche, but if I am diagnosed with GDM in pregnancy, does the management of my pregnancy change? And, you know, some things will change, but does that mean that you can't have an amazing pregnancy? No. Does that mean that you can't have an empowering birth? No. Does that mean that you always have to be induced and you'll end up with cesarean? Absolutely not. That is not the case. So, There's two different types of GDM. So you might either be treated with gestational diabetes, diet controlled or lifestyle controlled, or there might be the case where you actually require some insulin. Depending on those two things, you might follow a slight different path. So if you're diet controlled, you predominantly still do see 
midwives um, and you'll speak with the specialist, you know, endocrinologist and probably be linked in with a nutritionist. Um, not always the case, but hopefully. Um, but if you are insulin controlled, then most likely you still will receive midwifery care, but your whole pregnancy will be predominantly overseen by the obstetric team, if that makes sense. My next question to you is, do you mind sharing the difference between when women might need to be diet controlled or insulin controlled? And then I'll speak about continuing the pregnancy, what would happen for your labor and birth and so on. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's it's more so up to your uh, clinicians and your care team as to whether you will remain diet controlled or whether you will need medication or insulin rather than your dietitian. But essentially, like, I think the guidelines, like the ADIPS guidelines that we have require you to have um, only two blood sugars out of the normal range to yeah. then be considered somebody who would benefit from insulin or medication. Um, sorry, only two in a week. Um but in practice, normally how this plays out is like we get a good look at what your blood sugar is doing. And I would always recommend that you start tracking, right? So you start tracking what your blood sugar is doing and you'll be asked to test your blood sugar fasting every morning. So first thing when you wake up, two hours after uh, your breakfast, lunch and your dinner, that might vary. I know that's the guidelines. Some hospitals like you to do it at one hour, but you know, do what they tell you to do, but best practice is usually doing it at the two hour mm. mark. So we want you to record what's going on with your blood sugar. I would also encourage you to record what you're eating. So like I said, if two of those numbers are out of range in a week, that's considered enough to consider you someone at high risk who would benefit from medication. But if you have like a high number, right? And let's say you've just like been out for dinner and you had a massive burger and chips, well, it's quite obvious what's caused that spike in your blood sugar, right? So if you had some occasions like that where we're like, well, we can very easily trace that back and it's unlikely that you're going to go and do exactly the same thing again, then we wouldn't consider that a reason to need to change your management. Because then if we put you on insulin, say, and all of the rest of your numbers were fine, you'd be at risk of having your blood sugar too low. And yeah. so we really like... We're looking for the trends. We're not looking at isolated numbers, I suppose, is what I'm getting at there. So if there's outliers and they're very easily explainable, not saying go out and eat a giant burger and chips all the time and just be like, oh, but it's fine, like because we can mm -hmm. see what caused that spike in my blood sugar. I'm saying like if there's times where that does happen for whatever reason, and please know that it's it's okay sometimes to have a spike in your blood sugar. It's not the end of the world if it's a one-off, no worries. Um, then it wouldn't be a reason to change your management. But if you're getting consistently high blood sugar numbers and we just notice that it's a trend and it's not necessarily anything that you're doing wrong and you're implementing all the stuff that we recommend around your mm. diet and your lifestyle and you've kind of like reached the max of what you can do and what's within your control then we'd say all right we probably need to bring something else in here and that is not a failure that is nothing to do with you and it's like a lot of people have this huge 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 fear around insulin um it's not a failure it's actually a lot of the time when I see women start insulin, they're like, oh my God, I can like take a breath. And it feels like a big relief to be able to have a little bit more freedom in terms of what you're eating. Um, and I always want to emphasize as well that we don't want you to restrict your food intake and your carb intake in particular 
for the sake of getting like quote unquote better blood sugar numbers or lower blood sugar numbers, right? I want you to be eating enough food to support you and support your baby, make you feel good, make you feel energetic, meet all of your pregnancy nutrition needs. And that is like just as much of a priority as getting those stable blood sugar numbers. So if eating enough means that your blood sugar numbers go higher, then I would surprise like some people might be surprised to hear like I would probably advocate for medication in that scenario like a lot of people would think dietitian you only want people to be on you know diet control that's not really true because I want you to be able to eat enough to support like not just the bare minimum like outcomes for you and bub yeah we want to like optimize outcomes as much as we can right so that's when you would need insulin um don't be scared of insulin I was going to say something else then. It's um, gone out of my head, but I think um, it's come back to me. But uh, <laughs> please know that there is also no like kind of magic wand because a lot of women will come to me also fearful of of being on insulin because it might, like you. I'm sure you'll talk about a bit more, change your care stream. And that's really valid. I totally understand that if it means you might need to leave like midwifery-led care and go into care that is more under the guidance of a doctor because you're on insulin or something, but it's also not always the case. I'm sure you know more about it than me. And it's not really a reason to be like restricting yourself or doing silly things in terms of your diet, right? Um, But I also can't wave a magic wand when people are working with me. They might say like, oh, I really want to stay diet controlled. Can I work with you? Can you keep me off insulin? No one can guarantee that. Absolutely no one can guarantee that. And Again, I want to emphasize like as your pregnancy progresses, insulin resistance is exacerbated. So even if your numbers were fine when you were first diagnosed and you were all good, then don't be surprised if down the track, especially during that like 28 to 32 week mark is where I see it commonly, if things are really tricky at that point and your numbers are looking a little bit more out of whack than they might normally be and you might need medication brought in at that point. So, and and even if you start medication, like you start insulin, please don't be surprised if you start on like a little dose and then it goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up again. Like that's very normal. That's not you doing anything wrong. It's so, it is quite complex and you definitely need guidance throughout, you know, your whole GD experience because we do monitor you closely. We want to make sure all your sugars are in range and that you've already touched on it, but you're actually feeling well in yourself because the thing is you're not sick if you have gestational diabetes. There's nothing technically wrong with you. We just need to control one factor and that's working out what your insulin is doing and making sure it's in a safe range for you and your baby. So my next question again, so many questions for you. Um <laughs> I guess this is your niche. How can women best manage their GDM in terms of their diet, exercise, and lifestyle? Because you are very much for ensuring that women feel good still with their diagnosis and empowering them to, I guess, still thrive in that diagnosis of GDM rather than make it get the better of them. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't lose sight of the fact that you just need to be feeling good in your body and eating foods that you enjoy and that you love. And having gestational diabetes really doesn't need to mean that you have to eat like meat and veg and chicken salad and chicken and broccoli for the rest of your life and never go out to eat. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I think um, my 
my main message, something that I really believe is that with a few tweaks, like with a few, with the knowledge that yes, we need to be micromanaging things a little bit more with gestational diabetes in terms of your blood sugar, but you can essentially eat the same healthy diet that would be recommended to anybody is what I would recommend to somebody with GD, right? Because general healthy eating should be food that supports somebody with insulin resistance um, and basically just supports better outcomes, right? The main thing that I would focus on, a lot of people jump to straight into like, oh, I need to manage my carbs because we know that carbs broken down into sugar, sugar raises sugar in the bloodstream. So we need to manage the carbs. But I think that I want to take a step away from that and say, I need you to look at your diet as a whole. And that is much more important than laser focusing in on the carbs. And so, first of all, I would say, are you eating a mostly whole food based diet? And by that, I mean, does most of your food look like it's fresh and not coming out of a packet? Or is most of the stuff that you're doing like highly processed coming from a packet? Um, You know, you can read between the lines there. So I would say, First of all, we want to make sure that most of the stuff that you're eating is whole food based. So fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, grains, legumes, that kind of thing. And then are you meeting like the targets for those things? Like are you getting in a good amount of serves of whole grains every day? Are you getting in like five serves of veggies every day? Are you getting in two serves of fruit every day? Are you getting in three to four serves of calcium, three to four serves of something with protein in it? So that's like pretty basic advice, but pretty much just going back to basics and looking at that, I think is a really good first step because Mm -hmm. if you are eating all of those things, then essentially that means that you're eating a diet that would be considered um, nutritious, ticking some boxes, health promoting, likely to not be exacerbating insulin resistance. And that would be just like a good healthy diet for anybody, right? And then of course, when you have gestational diabetes, we do need to think about like the carbs and the particulars a little bit more. So then I would look at it maybe just like on a meal by meal level. And at your meals, we want to be consuming a nice balance of the different macronutrients. So get familiar with those. And the macronutrients are carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and I'll throw in fiber. It's like not really one, but we'll, we'll categorize it there. And so we want to be choosing carbohydrates that are mostly whole grains. So by that, I mean, go for things that are like, I don't know, wholemeal pasta. If you want to wholemeal like bread, so the whole grain bread where you can see the seeds and like the brown and all that kind of stuff in there, it's more dense, it's not white. So basically choosing all of this stuff that's like the more whole grain version and things in their natural form. So for example, like quinoa, a good option. So we want to be choosing those types of carbohydrates and we would consider the types of carbohydrates I'm talking about low GI. And if you've heard the term GI, that means glycemic index. So that means it's less likely to spike your blood sugar, which is a concept that's important, but I wouldn't consider the most important thing. So ideally choosing a low GI carbohydrate and then pairing that with a source of protein and a source of healthy fat and a source of fiber because those elements, they all tend to slow down digestion, take a little bit longer for us to metabolize so it can slow down the breakdown of the sugar from the carbohydrate and slow down or prevent any spike in your blood sugar, right? So 
thinking about it in terms of your plate, I would say let's aim to get a nice like low GI form of carbohydrate fitting into about a quarter of your plate. We want to get a nice source of protein and that would be Actually, I should go back and say what things are carbs. So that would be stuff like, like I said, pasta, bread, rice, cereal, quinoa, grains, those types of things, potatoes, even things like chickpeas and lentils and whatnot, they also count, and some dairy foods like milk and yogurt. And then we want to pair that carb with a source of protein that would make up the next quarter of your plate, and we want that to be something nice and lean, so maybe some lean chicken, red meat, I would try and Make your red meat more occasional um, and stick to things like chicken, fish, especially oily fish like salmon two to three times a week, eggs, tofu, tempeh, lentils and legumes and things like that again. So we want to get a good source of protein on your plate. And then the next half of your plate, we want to be fiber because again, that helps slow down digestion, also helps with your gut health. And we know even just supporting your gut microbiome is really important too in terms of like a whole lot of body processes and indirectly blood sugar regulation as well. So we want lots of fiber. I encourage people to aim to have three different colors on their plate at main meals. So let's say spinach, carrot, and tomato, whatever it's going to be for your meal, try and get three different colors there and also aim for 30 different plant foods per week. And so that can include nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and grains and things like that. But that can come into that half, right? So we want it to be colorful. And then we want a serve of healthy fats. So again, that supports just hormones, general health, general well-being, um, and again, can slow down digestion. So some type of healthy fat, maybe like a tablespoon worth, something like extra virgin olive oil, avocado, nuts, seeds, peanut butter, whatever. So some kind of a healthy fat going onto the plate as mm. well. So I think looking at it from that lens is a little bit more supportive and uh, thinking about what you can add into your diet is more helpful than thinking like, right, what do I need to restrict? I need to cut out carbs. Yeah. No, you don't. The evidence actually tells us that keeping an abundance of carbs in your diet and not restricting mm -hmm. it seems to be associated with better outcomes, which is opposite to what we tend to hear. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, good to keep in the back of your mind. And I don't mean by that just, like I said, at the very start, like having chips and burgers and things, we want to have the good quality carbohydrates for sure. But you don't need to be necessarily like restricting them. And everyone does have a different carb threshold and carb tolerance. So working out what is good for you and trying not to have your carbs on their own, like I said, mm. pairing with those other elements to help slow down the rise in blood sugar. So Again, that that became like kind of a a long yeah, a long helpful. chat about that. A good but visualization I think, and yeah, like, like what you already said. But this is great for women who might have gestational diabetes. But it's just coming back to eating a really healthy diet. So, like you know, anyone in pregnancy could be following the same thing as well. Exactly. And you do need to just keep an eye on your blood sugar and make tweaks where needed. Absolutely, of course. But if you are eating in this way, then it's likely that your blood sugar will be relatively stable. And so definitely think about what you can be adding in. And then if there's some occasional, you know, bits and pieces that come into that. So maybe you have a little bit of chocolate or a little bit of a treat, like 
That's okay. And if you're crowding it out, essentially, by making sure that you're meeting all of the targets for things like whole grains, fruits, vegetables, legumes, like nuts and seeds, Mm -hmm. you're getting all those things in, I feel like you'd be pretty full and there'd be less room for that stuff anyway coming into your diet. But it's not to say it's bad. And like, you know, I'd be a huge hypocrite if I was here like, oh, you can never have anything that's, you know, a dessert or whatever in your life again because you've got underlying insulin resistance or something like it's not really the case it's not realistic like eating when you have gestational diabetes is actually a really good opportunity to start eating in a way that would support you like for the rest of your life as just a Mm -hmm. how you eat so I would encourage you to look at it like that like is this something that I would be happy sustaining maybe with a bit more flexibility and leeway after pregnancy and if it's not probably like not the right approach. So you should be eating well, should be eating abundantly, aiming for mostly whole foods, less processed foods, um, enjoying what you're eating and pair your carbohydrates with protein and fats. Please, please don't eat them on their own. That will likely cause a spike. You know, I see people say stuff like a kind of fruit spikes me, but no, just take that same concept, like use um, healthy fats, protein and fiber to pair with your carbs to slow down that rise in blood sugar. And that's basically, I've just explained without saying, like the concept of glycemic load, which is a more helpful concept than glycemic index where we're just considering the context of your meal, the portion of your carbohydrate and all the stuff we're pairing it with. So we want a nice low glycemic load to support your blood sugar levels. Um, but then we can't just, again, laser focus in on diet. We need to think about your whole lifestyle. So that also would be accompanied by movement, thinking about your lifestyle in terms of getting enough sleep. We know getting at least seven hours of sleep is beneficial. Um, moving your body, like takes the sugar out of your bloodstream to actually utilize for that energy production. So going for a walk after your meals can be really helpful, Um, Any type of exercise as well is actually going to have a positive effect on improving your insulin sensitivity, so how well that works in your body for hours and hours and hours after you do it. So even up to like 12 to 24 hours after you've done that exercise, you might still see benefits for your blood sugar. So please try and move your body if you can, if it's safe for you. Mm. Um, And yeah, like I said, the other things like getting enough sleep, proactively managing your stress. I'm sure you're stressed aim to reduce it as much as you can because that influences blood sugar too. Um, Drink enough water, all that sort of stuff. That's really important as um, an additional management strategy. So there's some of the key things to be thinking about. Yeah. And I guess you just highlighted that, you know, you, although you might be unhappy with the diagnosis, you can still make gestational diabetes work for you. But it's just you have to have the knowledge and you have to sort of still be proactive in trying to manage it. Definitely. And if you're struggling and you're like, oh, I hate everything that I'm eating and I'm eating the same thing on repeat I'm so worried about what it's going to do to my blood sugar levels and you're just, you know, Mm. in a world of freak out, just please seek some support if you are really struggling with knowing what to eat or feeling Mm. like you can't stray from what you usually do because you're worried about what will happen to your blood sugar. Like, you don't need to be doing that and, and actually really important to be getting variety in your diet and it's really yeah. important as well to still feel like you can socialize and eat with other people and go out and about and live your life because that's just an important part of being a human and like I said we mm-hmm. we don't want you to be feeling depressed and 
disordered around your eating or anything like that because that is equally as unproductive and unhealthy as having unstable blood sugar levels. So, you know, it's easier said than done, but try and zoom out a little bit, look at the bigger picture, and it's just one element of your pregnancy care that we're managing, right? So Mm. it can still be delicious. It can still be foods that you enjoy. It's probably just small tweaks to whatever you're doing if you already do have a relatively well-balanced you know, diet and lifestyle, which you probably do if you're being proactive listening to a podcast like this. I imagine (laughs) that you're already, you know, doing some of those healthy things. So absolutely think that there's silver linings with gestational diabetes. And this is such a good chance to really, like I said earlier, put in place some of those things you've always wanted to do in terms of really creating healthy, sustainable habits and think about how much of an amazing role model as a mum, you will be if you continue this stuff and eating this way as well will help reduce your risk of type 2 diabetes in the future. So, you know, create a way that feels good, makes you feel good in your body, makes you know that you're eating enough, ticking the nutrient boxes for your pregnancy and then keep it up. Like, yeah, and it shouldn't need to be you eating separate meals from the family either. Like no. you shouldn't be there on your own with your plate of chicken and broccoli like you should be able to eat healthy family meals that are going to support you, you know, not just now, but ideally in the longer term as well. Yeah. yeah. So try and see that silver lining here. Yeah. And sometimes change takes time. Like Absolutely. the first the first week it might be really tough. The second week it's going to get easier. And the third week it's going to get easier and easier and then it's just going to be become like a routine. So just yeah. know that be kind to yourself, um, seek help if you need and, you know, your mental health and how you're feeling is just as important as your physical health. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Next what I want to touch on is sort of going back to in terms of pregnancy and the management. So I quickly just want to say that if you are diagnosed with GDM, either diet or insulin, you would be recommended to have a another ultrasound outside of you know our routine scans so usually depending on the hospital and the growth of your baby usually around that 34 week mark you would be offered an additional growth ultrasound to measure and see how your baby is growing obviously we know growth ultrasounds um they're a touchy topic in terms of how babies actually are born and what size they actually are but that's a whole other podcast episode within itself Um, But if you are someone with insulin, it's most likely that you will have more frequent appointments just to make sure that, you know, everything is progressing really well throughout your pregnancy. If you're someone with diet-controlled GDM, you will most likely just follow the normal routine um, standard of care and you still will be midwife-led. If anything changed or if there was any concern and now you needed insulin, unfortunately, then you would be moved out of midwifery-led care. But also just knowing if you do have insulin, you're still going to have support from your midwives. You still will be linked in with them. You still will have midwifery-based education appointments. Um, But as I already said earlier, it does not mean you can't have an amazing labor and birthing experience. Um, We do know that women requiring insulin, they are at high risk of needing to be induced. And that's very dependent on your obstetric team of 
you know, how's the growth of your baby? What sort of insulin are you requiring? Are you now actually not requiring insulin and what's going on with the placenta there? Um, so that's sort of managed with your obstetric team. But I just want to be clear that diet and exercise controlled GDM is actually not an indication to be induced. And in saying that and taking that one step further, being induced is always requires your consent. You know, you always have to agree with it. So it's if you're finding yourself in that position, it's asking the questions as why and, you know, using that BRAINS acronym of, you know, what are the benefits, what are the risks, um, are there any other alternatives and so on. So just making sure that you still do have a say in your pregnancy and remembering that you're always in the centre of your own care. It's very individualised with, you know, your certain case, but hopefully that answered the question. Yeah. In terms of getting through your pregnancy and now maybe uh, in labour and having your baby, does your birthing process change? No. So I've already touched on that potentially you might need to be induced and that's very much dependent on the individual. But in terms of your actual labour, you can still have an amazing physiological labour and birth. You could still go into spontaneous labour before even being induced. The only thing that changes in terms of management is that it would be recommended to have the continuous monitoring to make sure baby is coping with the labour okay. Um, But then for a woman with diet controlled, we check their blood sugars every four hours throughout labor and for someone on insulin it's every two hours throughout labor and with the hormones that are going around your body you might require insulin now even though you've never had it before so your midwife will have a sliding scale which is what we call it and basically it's like a track and trigger sort of thing so depending on what your blood sugar level is at that point in time it might say okay if it sits between this range and this range we now need to give you X amount of insulin. So you'll be monitored really, really closely, but you can still get into the shower. You can still do all of those things. So I hope that message is coming across saying, don't let GDM define the type of birth that you're going to have, because we've already touched on there are potential risks, but have I seen 4.5 kilo babies being birthed vaginally? Yes. Have I seen five kilo babies being birthed vaginally? Yes, I have. So It's really just going to depend on the situation, how you are coping, how your baby is coping throughout that labor and birth, but you can absolutely have a magical experience and I care for women with GDM all the time. Um, So I hope that was a little pump up and for anyone that's like, oh, yes, I feel relieved now that I still can have everything that I dreamt of, you absolutely can. I totally agree that so many people are very, very afraid. I see a lot of conversations in support groups and mm. places like that where I like to go and work online um, <laughs> where there's there's a lot of conversations about induction and what that means yeah. and, you know, now that you have GD, do you have to be induced and, you know, what your birth is going to look like. And so I think it's really nice to have some reassurance and peace of mind that, you still have an amazing birth, no matter how it's all going to play out, whether it's going to be physiological, whether it Mm. needs to be induced, like, and your team, I think just something that I will add that is important to keep in the back of your mind is that a dietitian, your midwife, your obstetrician, your diabetes educator, we're all on your team, we're all on your side. No one is going to be ideally suggesting things that are, um, not in your best interest and you can always ask as well for where the 
you know, what the evidence is behind the recommendation and how that specifically applies to you and your circumstances and your situation and why they've made that recommendation. And hopefully they're able to give you a really good explanation once you ask Mm -hmm. that question. So if you're ever confused or you feel like you're not happy with the management that's been recommended or suggested, like please ask for an explanation because most of the time your health professional will be more than happy to share that with you. And we are all on your team. We're all on your side. We really just want the best for you and your baby. Okay. Like no one gets into these sorts of health professional roles because we're out to get you. It's not like that. We all want to see the best for you. Yeah. And honestly, I will say this to any woman, regardless if she is low risk or high risk, it comes down to educating yourself and having knowledge because if you have knowledge, you have so much more control and power over asking questions and actually understanding why potentially a medical team might be doing a certain intervention and so on and so forth. So if you're already listening to this podcast, amazing. <laughs> Step one, you're doing an amazing job. Um, but just seek help if you need to because you can still reach that outcome that you've always desired and although it may not have been part of your original, I say in quotation marks, plan, we know that, well, if you've listened to my podcast before and I've spoken about birth plans, I don't like to say birth plans, I like to say birth wishes and that's because we want our birth wishes to be flexible. We still want to have those core things that are going to make up having a positive birthing experience. Um, So I guess we're nearly there. Hey, who knew you can talk so long for gestational diabetes? I mean, we both knew it. Me. I could talk um, all night and all day about nutrition (laughs) and gestational diabetes. (laughs) Yeah. And the last thing that I just want to cover is what happens postpartum. So you've Mm -hmm. already mentioned that babies are at potential risk of having lower blood sugar levels, so hypoglycemia after birth. And the way that hospitals manage this might vary from each hospital as we follow different policies, but routinely we would check your baby's blood sugar levels three times. So usually around one to two hours after birth and we want it to be in a certain range and they pretty much need three blood sugar levels over a certain level. If they do that and tick them off, we go, okay, yep, they can control and manage their um, blood sugar levels really well. It's those babies that back in the day we didn't monitor as much and they're at higher risk of obviously hypoglycemia, um, temperature instability, so they become quite cold and they can become quite unwell, which is why we do more of intense monitoring now. So if you're a mum with GDM, speak to your healthcare provider all about antenatal expressing because having some of that Mm -hmm. additional colostrum ready to go because potentially a baby might need additional nutrition I couldn't stress that enough. And then in terms of mum, we monitor your blood sugar levels for the next 48 hours. So we'd like to make sure that you can control them um, hopefully without the insulin now or we just like to see what range they're in and we would do, you know, your pre and post blood sugar levels. So for each of your meals and then follow up with your GP or the hospital might link you in around six weeks postpartum just to make sure that everything is now settling. Yeah, definitely. And please do that test. Please, 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 please do not go and miss your six-week checkup. So essentially like after you've given birth, the placenta's out, the hormones have stopped circulating, so it's most likely that your blood sugar will go back to normal um, if it doesn't. 
And particularly if you had like quite high numbers on your oral glucose tolerance test initially, it could be um, an indication of underlying type 2 or pre-diabetes. So yeah, they might not go back to normal, but most cases they will. But you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to go to your six-week check <laughs> and do another oral glucose tolerance test and yeah. see what your blood sugar is doing at that time point and then potentially keep monitoring it you know, for years down the track. Because if you are somebody with that genetic predisposition to developing type 2 diabetes, you don't want to deal with that. Like just bite the bullet and do the hard thing now and, you know, understand what's going on in terms of your blood sugar, your insulin resistance so that you can continue managing it well. And like I said before a million times, like don't throw out all of your diet and lifestyle management strategies. Don't throw them all out of the window just because now you've given birth and the actual blood sugar monitoring is over. They're still equally as important. Um, and I think, you know, again, this is a whole separate podcast episode in itself, but that postpartum nutrition, I think is an area where there's a big gap where unfortunately you might just hear the advice of, well, kind of keep eating in a similar way, but a bit more flexibility and leeway than when you were monitoring and had GD. Um, and, and that is pretty vague. I understand that. But it's a big area where it's a really pivotal time to focus on your nutrition and make sure that it is ticking the boxes. Just the basic Australian dietary guidelines is a good place to start with that. But mm. definitely keep up with what you've been doing. It's obviously a chaotic time when you're um, like caring for a newborn. You might be breastfeeding. Um, there's a lot of factors that can impact your nutrition at that time point as well. But again, if you're struggling link yourself in with some support and make sure you're doing the best thing that you can to support yourself um, in that longer term and being an amazing role model for your family as well. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, if there's one place to go, it's to you. So highly recommend <laughs> anyone who's navigating the challenging thing of GDM to hit up Helena and, you know, check out her Instagram page and her podcast because, honestly, you are an absolute wealth of knowledge and you can just see the passion um, come through your voice about this topic and thank you for doing what you do to educate these women because we know that the education, it's not so accessible and um, positive as well out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on to this podcast and sharing your wisdom with not only the audience but also me and helping me understand a little bit better about GDM because I look after a lot of women um, but sometimes I don't get to support them so much in their antenatal and postpartum journey. Mm, no, thank you. That is so lovely. What beautiful things to say to me and I couldn't agree more I think you're doing an amazing job at what you're doing and we need so many more voices in this space and thank you for having me on and letting me talk your ear off about gestational diabetes and I hope this was useful to some of you out there listening and like you said yeah it doesn't have to be all negative doom and gloom let's be mm. as positive about it as we can yeah. be and absolutely come and chit chat to me come and um, listen to my podcast come and follow me on instagram and you can always reach out in my dms i love to have a chat about how you're going and find out you know what the what women are dealing with and what's going on in your situation and how i might be able to support you if you are needing that thank you for having me and this conversation i've loved it thank you so much i'm sure you'll be back on the pod soon yeah absolutely 
Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. Was that my hands or my flaps? I'll let you decide. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember, you're doing the best you can. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.